Hey everybody, welcome to the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. This is episode number two. This is the podcast where we talk about everything, recording, mixing, mastering, plugins, and studio gear to help you produce better music in your home studio. I am your host, David Vignola. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about six mixing tips that will vastly improve your mixes and they won't cost you a dime. Nothing for you to purchase. Six tips to help improve your mix on this week's episode. We also have a couple of questions we're going to answer and our segment that I call the mailbag. And then at the end of the podcast, I have two free gifts I want to give you. So make sure you stay tuned all the way till the end. So now let's get ready for episode two here at the home recording made easy.com podcast. Okay, welcome here to episode two. And this week, again, we're going to talk about six mixing tips to help improve your mixes. And these six mixing tips don't cost you anything. There's no plugins to buy. There's no studio gear to buy. These are six practical tips that'll really help improve your mix if you do them consistently. Not only will they help improve your mix, but they'll make your mixes sound more consistent from project to project. So let's jump right in into mix tip number one. Mix tip number one is something that a lot of people overlook and a lot of beginners tend to forget forget about, and that is mixing at low volumes. Now you may say, why do you want to mix at low volumes? What's the big deal? I like to get my studio, mix that thing, crank it up, and I start rocking out to the music. Terrible idea, especially if you're going to be mixing for any length of time. You get ear fatigue, and when you get ear fatigue, your ears tend to compress, you tend to lose perspective of the high end, you end up boosting a lot of high end in your mix, and then you come back the next day and you find out your mix sounds very, very harsh. And that's just one of the one of the things that can happen when you mix at high volumes. Mixing in low volumes is going to do a couple of things. Number one, it's going to allow you to mix for longer periods of time without getting ear fatigue, as we just mentioned. Two, it's going to force you to do a lot more critical listening. And by critical listening, you're going to be able to really focus in on all the different instrumentation to make sure you have clarity, to make sure you have good separation, to make sure that you can hear everything and everything is very well balanced. Now, the thing about mixing at low volumes, when you first try it, boy, it becomes really, really tough if you're not used to it and and your instinct is to take that volume knob on your interface and to just jack it up and get real loud and start rocking out to the music again. You don't want to do that. It's very, very important that you try to discipline yourself to mix at low volumes and you say, well, how low is low? Well, how low is low to give you just kind of an idea that if we were sitting next to each other in your studio and we were listening back to your mix, we should be able to have a conversation, normal speaking volume without having to scream into each other's ear. That's one way to kind of guide it. The other way is if you have a, um, a computer keyboard in front of you, like most of you do when you're mixing on your in the box on your computer, you should be able to tap away on the keys and you should be able to hear the clacking of the keys just about as loud as the music or just underneath the music. It should be that low. Mix it low as the lowest volumes as you possibly can. And again, you're going to have to gauge how low is low, but you want to be able to do something where you can mix for at least an hour and not have your ears get tired. So that is super, super important. And I'm not saying you should never check your mixes at high volume. Of course, you should every once in a while jack up the volume and just double check things. But do most of your mixing at low volumes. You're going to find that you're going to have make better EQ decisions, especially better compression decisions, better panning decisions. And you're going to find you're going to have a lot more clarity in your mix and they're going to become a lot more consistent. And it's going to help develop you, your ear, to tune your ear into critical listening, which is super important. So that's tip number one. Tip number two is you should be taking breaks. 
Every 45 minutes of an hour of continuous mixing, you should be stopping and taking a break. Now, part of that has to do with what we talked about with uh, tip number one, is if you're mixing at lower volumes, your ears are gonna be, um, are gonna be being kept from getting fatigued and therefore you're going to be able to mix for 45 minutes or an hour. So it's not really ear fatigue is why I'm telling you to take breaks. While I'm telling you to take, why I'm telling you to take a break every 45 minutes or so for about 10 or 15 minutes is to recalibrate your ears, recalibrate your mindset and the way you think about what you're hearing coming out of the speakers or in your headphones if you're mixing with headphones. That is a good way to take a break, get away from the music, Come back, listen to the mix quickly, and your first impressions are usually the right ones. Your gut instincts, when you first turn that mix back on, you'll find that you'll hear little things that you didn't hear while you're in the middle of that long stint of recording, so or, or mixing, excuse me. So how long should you be mixing before you take a break? Probably every 45 minutes, every hour at the most. Taking frequent breaks, getting out of the control room, for 10 or 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half an hour, let your ears reset themselves, let them recalibrate themselves, let your brain recalibrate itself. And when you come back and you continue to mix, beyond that point, you're gonna find you're gonna make much better decisions. Tip number three is to check your mixes on as many speaker systems as practical. Now I say practical. Now, for some of us, that's not a big deal. You may have two or three sets of speakers in your control room, um, and that's one way to check. You can also run out to the car, and you can check things that way, burn things on a thumb drive or on a CD and bring it out to your car the old-fashioned way. You can check your mixes on headphones, on earbuds, on an iPad, on an iPhone, those types of things. Um, but the more you check your mixes on different systems the better that your mix is gonna translate outside of your control room. One of the biggest problems that a lot of new mixers have when they set up their home studios, and we'll talk a little bit about the reasons why in future episodes, is their mix sounds great in their control room on their speakers, and then when they take it out of their control room or out of their mixing room, and they bring it to their car, they bring it to their other you know, sound system or on their computer or on their headphones or on their earbuds, or what have you, the mix doesn't sound the same. And nine out of 10 times, it's the low end that becomes the problem. And there's many reasons for why that is, and we'll talk about that in later episodes. But your goal is to really learn your room, learn the way your speakers sound, and then learn what your mixes that come out of that room sound like on different systems before you print your final mix. Okay, so that's really, really important. I typically check my mixes on about three different sources. I have my studio monitors that are my main mixing, you know, vehicle or speakers. Then I have a set of headphones that I use. I check them on a set of earbuds, like uh, Apple, you know, AirPods. And then I also check it on, I went to, uh, I think, eBay many years ago, and I bought um, a little $20 old cassette radio boom box for people that, you know, from people that remember the 70s and the 80s, those old little cassette recorder, little boom box speaker systems that you could buy today for 15 or 20 bucks used on eBay. Um, and they have really crappy speakers in them. And I just set that on my on my console here and I have it patched into my monitor station. And I'm able to switch between those three different sets of speakers so I can get a really good perspective on how my mix that sounds really great on my studio monitor sounds on a really crappy system. And that will also, that little boom box will kind of also emulate what a lot of car stereo systems sound like these days as well. So by checking on headphones, the boom, box, earbuds, you got three or four different uh, listening environments. And then I know that if it all sounds good and well-balanced on those different systems, that no matter where that mix goes out into the world, better chance that it's going to sound uh, as good as possible and it's going to translate pretty well. So checking your mixes on as many systems as practical um, is, is the way to go. And I highly recommend that. Next tip, tip number, what are we on? Tip number four, 
Never mix your tracks in solo. Always mix them in the context of the mix. Now, if you've been following me for any length of time or if you have any of my training courses at homerecordingmadeeasy.com, uh, you know that um, I always try to teach you how to mix an instrument in the context of the rest of the mix. Now, a lot of times for instructional purposes, I'll solo up a track to let you hear what I'm doing with a compressor, with an EQ, so on and so forth. And it's okay to check things in solo, but you want to check things in the context of the mix. So for example, you may mix your kick drum, you get your kick drum sounding the way you want, and then you go to mix your snare drum. And, the, and a lot of folks will go ahead and mute the kick drum and solo the snare drum, get a great sounding snare, then mute the snare and um, solo up the, the rack tom, get a great sounding rack tom. Mute the rack time, go to the overheads. You get the idea. And then when they get the put the whole drum kit together, all six or eight tracks of it, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't, it doesn't meld or mix well together. And you think, well, in solo, they sounded great on their own, but they don't sound great together. And that is a very common problem. So what I teach is when you mix that kick drum, when you go to the snare, keep the mix in play. Keep that mix. You may turn down the volume a little bit and turn up the snare so you can hear the snare above the kick drum. But you want to have those two tracks playing at the same time. And then when you go to rack tom number one, the kick and the snare are playing, you mix in the toms. And then you go down the line. When the drums are done and you go to mix the bass, don't solo the bass. Mix the bass with the drum kit playing. Okay, it's really, really important that everything sounds good cohesively together when you mix them together. Mixing in solo is never a good idea, and I highly recommend that you don't do that. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you can't check things in solo. Absolutely check things in solo, but you want to do everything in the context of the mix. So that's really, really important. And you see me do that on any of my training courses all the time. And I highly recommend that you train yourself to do it. And just like mixing at low volumes, it's a little tough to get used to that at first because you don't, you're distracted by the other instruments that are playing in the background while you're trying to work on a specific track. But once again, that's going to train your ear and help you with your critical listening. Okay. So never mix tracks in solo. Tip number five. Do not overuse the effect called reverb. <laughs> One of the telltale signs of when I hear a lot of, uh, of my beginner students that send me mixes for them to check out is a lot of folks always drown the tracks in reverb. The overuse of reverb is a big, big no-no. You want to be very careful about that. When you listen to a lot of popular music that's on the radio today, it doesn't matter what genre it is, there isn't a lot of reverb being heard. Reverb is in a, there in a way for it to make the track feel a little bigger or the song feel a little bit bigger, but it doesn't want to be uh, overly obvious and you don't want to wash down the tracks in reverb unless you're mixing a night an 80s hair metal tune right back in the 80s where reverb it was it was very prominent you wanted to hear those big canon reverbs with the exception of that if you're not going for that and you're just going for something to make it sound thicker more polished with a little bit of space Use reverb very, very sparingly. I would always tell a student, I'd rather hear your mix with a little too less reverb, meaning a little dry, than having too much reverb. Always err on the side of caution when you use reverb. And the other thing about reverb is when you use reverb, be very careful when you're using a room reverb. Room reverbs, when they're turned up too loud, make the track sound very hollow, very empty, very lifeless unlike a plate in a hall reverb, but you gotta be careful with those too. But so using too much reverb is really critical and most noticeable 
to my ears when I use a room type reverb as opposed to a play in a hall. So be careful with your reverb. And then the last tip I'm gonna give you for this week that doesn't cost you any money. Use reference tracks to compare your mix against. I talk about this a lot in a lot of my training courses at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. If you're mixing a style of music, especially if you're not familiar with that style of music, try to get reference tracks of mixes that you like that are on the radio that were recorded and mixed and mastered by the, some of the most famous mixing engineers in the world and compare your mix against that. Listen for things like how much low end is in the commercial mix versus my mix. How loud is the snare drum? How bright is the overall track sound from an EQ perspective? How warm or dark does it sound? How loud are the vocals in the track? If I'm mixing a country song on popular country music, how loud is the vocal compared to the rest of the band? Those types of things. That will make your mix sound more like a commercial recording. If you do these six things consistently from mix to mix to mix, your mixes will turn out much more consistently from one project to another. You're going to develop a much more critical listening ear, which is going to help you when you're going to make better decisions with EQ, compression, plug-in choices, balancing and panning, so on and so forth. So I hope you enjoyed those six tips. Now let's go over to the next segment, which I call the mailbag, which are a couple of questions that came in through YouTube and email and Facebook over the last couple of weeks. So let's jump over to the mailbag segment and answer a couple of questions. On this week's mailbag, we have a couple of questions. The first question comes in from a Jason Foley. Jason, thank you for writing in. His question is, hi, Dave. Is there a plugin you would recommend for as for checking mixes that emulate different listening environments? I only have one set of speakers and headphones and running back and forth to the car is extremely inconvenient. Thanks, Jason. Well, Jason, thank you for writing in. Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, I have a, a plug-in review of this on the um, YouTube channel as well. The name of the plugin is the Mix Checker Pro by the company Audified. Um, again, there's a, a demo I did of it on our YouTube channel. You can check that out at youtube.com slash easy. Just search the playlist plug-in reviews and you will see it there. Um, what the Mix Checker Pro does is exactly what you kind of just uh, alluded to, which is it has, you put it on your master bus as the last plugin in the chain, first off. And they have, I think, off the top of my head, six to 10 different types of listening environments that were emulated as part of this plugin. Everything from a car stereo to a, to a tablet, to a smartphone, to a cassette radio boombox situation, to different types of um, different studio monitors, headphones, earbuds, so on and so forth. And this is a great way to be able to check your mixes on different um, simulated listening environments if you don't physically have multiple pairs of speakers or multiple pairs of headphones, or as Jason says, running back and forth to the car can be extremely inconvenient. Using something like the Mix Checker Pro is really, really helpful. And again, I know there's others on the market, but that is the one that um, I've used more recently and I like the most and um, it really does help. It's a great thing and I would absolutely recommend the Mix Checker Pro by Audified and you could demo their plugins I think for seven days free of charge. You get to check their website um, and uh, again it's audified.com. I'll leave the link in the show notes so you can go check that out and then after that you can 
buy it. I think the plugin is, in, I think it's like 149 US dollars as of the recording of this podcast. So check it out. I think you'll really like it. That's the plugin I would absolutely recommend um, if you want to check your mix in different listening environments and you don't have the physical listening environments, the Mix Checker Pro by Audified will really, really help. Our second question comes in from Karen Warble, Wardle. And Karen writes, hi, Dave, do you recommend mixing solely on studio monitors or on headphones, which typically gives you better results? Thanks, Karen. Well, Karen, thank you for writing in. Um, this is an interesting question. I've talked about this quite a bit on some live streams recently over at the um, Home Recording Made Easy YouTube channel. Um, mixing solely on studio monitors or headphones, um, if you had to choose one or the other, um, I would always tend to choose studio monitors. However, if you have a mixing environment that is not acoustically treated, and we'll talk about acoustic treatment in a future podcast episode, then I would say use headphones. So if you have the right um, acoustic treatment in the right mixing environment, I would always say try to mix on a good set of studio monitors if you can. Um, you're not going to get ear fatigued as quickly. Um, typically, if you have a decent set of monitors, and again, I know the word decent is very subjective, um, but if you have a, you know, a mid to an upper range pair of monitors, um, you're going to probably get better results again if the room is treated properly. So that's always the key. So that's my, that would be my first, um, you know, preference if I had to choose. Now, if you don't have the right mixing environment, if you don't have acoustic treatment, if you don't have the budget to spend, I would say a minimum of a thousand dollars a pair for good studio monitors. And that's on the low end. Okay. I know you can get studio monitors for 400 bucks a pair and 300 bucks a pair and even 500 bucks a pair. Typ typically those lower ends more affordable studio monitors um, aren't the greatest for mixing. They're great for playing music. You can do some mixing on it, but if you really want to do really good critical listening and you're really trying to mix uh, music to to the to the best of your ability, yeah, what every decision you make is based on what comes out of those speakers, right? So um, I would, you know, studio monitors are very much you get what you pay for, and, I, and I'm a firm believer in that. And the way I would uh, advise you, or anyone for that matter to purchase studio monitors is you really want to be able to try them out in your physical studio. Going to your local big box store and listening to them in their environment, they're going to sound completely different in your environment. So I would suggest that you buy them from a place that you can return them after using them for a couple of weeks if you don't like them, or if you buy them from a company like Sweetwater.com, and again, links will be in the description box below. It's where I buy all my studio gear. You can uh, buy monitors from them, try them out, and send them back within 30 days, and they'll do that as many times as you like until you find the pair of monitors that are for you. And they have every major name brand under the sun there. So I would check those out. But as far as a price point goes, you want to be somewhere in that, you know, $1,000 a pair and up is, is really where you start to get better quality monitoring. So if you don't have the budget to do that and you don't have the acoustic treatment, then I would say absolutely. You can mix, you know, really and get really great results on headphones. You can get an awesome set of mixing style headphones for the for cheaper than you can buy a really good set of studio monitors. So what brands do I use? Well, I do a lot of mixing on headphones when I'm doing a lot of my uh, training and mixing tutorials. Um, and I use Sennheiser HD 700s. Those run about 600 
$600, um, which is, um, you know, again, pretty expensive for a set of headphones, but $600 on headphones as compared to $600 for a pair of studio monitors, you're going to get a much better mixing result using the $600 headphones as opposed to buying a $600 pair of monitors, as I just mentioned. So um, if you had to, if, you know, what is the, where are you going to get the best results? The best results is if you can spend the money on a good set of monitors, acoustically treat your room properly, you will get more consistent mixes, I think, on a pair of studio monitors. However, if you don't have both of those things, not just one or the other, both of those things, acoustic treatment and good studio monitors, and I'd say get yourself a real good set of studio headphones. And again, I use Sennheiser HD 700s, and I would also say with headphones, before I forget, get a pair of open back headphones, not a set of closed back headphones. That'll give you a better representation of the low end, and that's usually what's preferred for mixing. And there are a few companies out there like Focal, Sennheiser, and others that make really good um, mixing headphones. And you want to make sure you're buying headphones that have a very flat response that are really designed for mixing, not just for tracking. That's different. So don't buy a set of $129 uh, headphones um, and expect to get a good mixing experience. So you really got to really do your research and pay attention. And again, I'll leave in the description of this podcast some links to Sweetwater with some of the recommendations that I have for things that you can check out. So Karen, thank you so much. I hope that answers your question. Now I want to um, say thanks once again for sticking around to the end of the episode. Before we get to the two free gifts, I want to ask you to please like, subscribe to this podcast, and leave a review, whether you're listening to this on Apple iTunes or on Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. It would be great if you could leave me a review and let me know what you think. Again, we're brand new here. This is only episode number two. I'm hoping that the podcast will continue to grow and get better and better each and every week. So your feedback really matters, and it really helps me out. If you give me the old thumbs up and the old good five-star review would be awesome, and I really do appreciate it. So please make sure you do that. Also, if this is your first time here and you're brand new to the Home Recording Made Easy um, family, I want to say welcome to our Home Recording Made Easy podcast and the whole Home Recording Made Easy.com ecosystem. I want to do something for you. I want to give you a free gift. I want to give you five free mixing training courses over at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Again, you can write that down. I'll say it again, homerecordingmadeeasy.com and the links will be in the show notes as well. Go there right on the homepage. You can't miss it. Big orange button. Sign up for your five free mixing training courses. Doesn't cost you a penny, no obligation to you. Do that today and you'll get those courses delivered directly to your inbox. Also, I want to make sure that I'm going to give you um, a coupon code. So the coupon code is going to be in the show notes again as well. The coupon code is podcast 30 that's podcast 30. Use that at checkout. Take 30% off any one of my training courses at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And there is a ton of courses on recording, on mixing, on mastering. You're, there's a ton of stuff there. Go check it out. Podcast 30 will take 30% off any one of those training courses. So make sure you do that. And if you really want to learn the craft of mixing in a very non-technical way, which is perfect for beginners and intermediates, I invite you to check out what I have going on at mixingmadeeasy.net. And again, link will be in the show notes. Go check out mixingmadeeasy.net. I think you'll really enjoy that, especially if you're into mixing and you really want to get good at the craft of mixing. So I want to thank you once again so much for joining me on this second episode of the homerecordingmadeeasy.com podcast. Make sure you subscribe and make sure you stay tuned. Every week there'll be a new episode going out every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time so you can mark off your calendar. And until next week, I've been Dave with homerecordingmadeeasy.com and mixingmadeeasy.com. Easy.net. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you all next week. Take care. <laughs>